morning, folks. We're not going to waste any time. We don't have enough time as it is. Okay, where you go? Okay, crack. Let's go. <coughs> although, although. Hey, get over here. If my travels allow, oh, yeah, yes. we're going to have an extra week on this next week. So I'm, I'm kind of banking on that, so we'll see how this goes. Let's open in prayer. Father, we thank you for the morning. Thank you for your, your promises that the, the sun comes up, it sets, new days come. And Father, with that, we know that your, your plan, your hope, your promise is eternal. There's so much that's set, Lord, is to the times and the seasons and where the land is and where certain certain promises are yet to be fulfilled and yet Lord we know that eternity with you is what you ultimately plan. We have no clue where that will end up Father. We have no idea what the new heavens and new earth will be like. We see so much grandeur and, and just beauty and, and terror in the universe what we have today and yet Lord we know that what you create will be what you call good. It will be blessed. It's blessed, Lord, that you've given us enough to hold on to. It's, it's blessed that, Father, you've given us your presence to, to guide, to comfort, and also to challenge, Lord. And we ask that as we look into your word, we would be challenged just by that. Help the Spirit to keep us honest before you in how we feel, in the accounts we have of sin. And yet, Father, with that, forgive us. Accept us as we are. Take us and help make us that much more. Work us towards that new person. We ask this knowing it's your will. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you turn with me uh, real quick to the book of Hosea, chapter 1. If you remember, all you who were awake during the pastor's sermon two weeks ago, yeah, yeah, none of the young people looked up, so they were asleep, I thought. Where did you say, Sean? Sean, I didn't hear what you said. Hosea chapter 1. Bob Todd from the book of Hosea. His wife had a few issues. His kids probably ended up with a lot more issues after the names they were given, yes. Yeah, definitely. Well, I got a question. When you read verses like in Hosea, and just read the verse that I'm saying, just the verse I'm saying, Hosea 1.9, it says, And the Lord said to me, Name him Lo Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Now, if your Bible doesn't translate Lo Ami, it means not mine. Not mine. Speaking of the people. Now, Hosea's whole challenge here is the fact that they have played the harlot, and so we're going to have a nice play showing you that. I don't envy the poor guy. What verse are you on? Verse 9 in the first chapter of the book of Hosea. Now, a lot of people want to try and, you know, water this down and say, well, the Lord didn't really mean that. Right? And so we'll go to verse 10. So let's read verse 10. Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, and in their place 
where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together, and they will appoint for themselves one leader, and they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. How do you reconcile those two verses? Is God just saying, kidding, right? He's saying, you're not my people. Not. Right? Is that what he's saying? <coughs> See, how you define the covenants determines your understanding of this. Because what you'll find is, these people, by what they did, who they were, disqualified themselves completely out of any fellowship with God. But the beautiful thing about God's promises is, you cannot stop it. That is why what is quoted there is the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. And if you understand the fact that your choice in life is, these are the promises of God, but you have a choice every day when you wake up as to whether you're going to walk in it or not. And the covenants are those major points that help you understand what it is that God is asking. See, a lot of people sit and say, well, you know, I was born into a good Christian family, so I'm a good Christian kid. And uh, if you're honest with yourself, what you tell yourself is you know how to play the good Christian game. Yes? But the reality of it is, is do you have faith in Jesus Christ that makes you a new creature, that makes you a son of God, that makes you on par with every other Christian? One of the ways I measure Christians is, I understand you are not a completed work. I understand that you're not perfect. Right? Right. Heaven forbid. <laughs> it's good you're sitting in the back. We have certain comments about the teacher up here. Young, young ears should not hear. But, <laughs> but in Scripture, if you're going to stand for God, you don't put up with such shenanigans. You're speaking for God. Okay. My gosh, it's all kinds of. Yeah. <laughs> now you're gonna to have to go back and do it all over again. No, 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 I'm not going back and making it over. But you normally the latest ones in bring the donuts. <laughs> <laughs> not even a response. We need more chairs. Speak up and No, the point is, the point is, is if you understand who you are in the gospel, you know what to stand up for. And what bothers me is, when I see, quote, Christianity being defended in this country, I see the extremes of everything. I don't see people who hold the gospel center. We live in a land now that if you tell someone you're an evangelical, it means you're, you're politically charged. Man, go grab Martin Lloyd Jones' book on what it means to be an evangelical. Boy, that was difficult to get out. <laughs> okay, now, I brought a handout. And as to my handouts, and you're going to have to share it because we only brought you in. 
it doesn't explain anything to you. If you don't sit through the class, you're not going to understand Because basically all I'm doing is giving you my notes, which are the touch points of where I go from here. But if you were here last week, I was shocked that none of you chart... That's all I got. That's all Pretty spicy. Cool. That's good. Yeah, I'm sorry. I only brought like 20 of them. Why? Um, uh, <laughs> well, I didn't think there was that many people. Well, sharing. <laughs> 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 I thought they wouldn't want to hear you. Huh? <laughs> oh, come on. If you can't sit next to each other and look at a piece of paper, come on. <laughs> we share everything, but... Uh, Would anyone like a copy? I take my own. <laughs> it doesn't say a whole lot. Good game his wigs, it doesn't say anything. What's that? Good game his wigs, it doesn't say anything. No, he's the only one who gets it. Really, I mean, he really does. What we're looking at, and, and what I laid out last week, and all that silliness that I talked about, was the fact that there are so many people who have different views and love to use the word covenant. And a real pet peeve of mine is people who come up with real churchy terms just to make people shut up. Because they think they're talking about something that you don't know. Right? No. If you want to discuss something, and you're going to call it Christian, call me old-fashioned. You... Chapter and verse the thing for me. If you can't chapter and verse it, I don't buy it. Now, I was real hard on the covenant theology people last week, I, and, and I, I love them. I, I, I truly do. Uh, I tell you, when it comes to inspirational reading, I just love it. Uh, I shared that last week. But Jack was just sharing me, with, with me this morning that you go on the internet and, and you punch in covenant and you start getting a list of the covenants. He's got he's got five pages here. Talks about. The sacred covenant, the binding covenant, the uh, uh, the ratified covenant, the uh, one with Adam, um, the one in Moab. It goes on and on, you know. And Jack really buys this stuff. That's a, that's why that's why it's good that Jack's in here with us. You know what I mean? <laughs> sorry, sorry, not really. Poor Jack. It got Jack thinking, didn't it? Now, <laughs> with that, what we're looking at this week is strictly the covenants. And, and you like the title I gave us? I gave it a nice title. I said, the covenants of God as Scripture reveals, found in their progressive order within the redemptive plan of God. Now, why did I say that the covenants were given within the redemptive plan of God? There was a, a, a very serious statement I made last week that I was shocked that very few people remarked about afterwards. I said that nobody is saved by keeping the covenants. You guys bought that? <laughs> Do you buy that? Jack's saying, yeah, but again, this is the guy that goes to the internet for everything. <laughs> he says if it's on the internet, it's got to be true. <laughs> Is that a true statement or not? If if I keep the covenants, is it proof that I'm saved? No. 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 
Not at all. Because how are you saved? By faith By faith through grace. In the finished work of Jesus Christ. Right? Good. Well, you New Testament people, well, how was Abraham saved? Faith. Just faith. To leave the grace part out of it? Oh, very interesting verse, that one. We won't have to talk about that one. I hate to tell you, but Abraham was saved the exact same way. By faith through grace. Because you can't be saved any other way. And it was by the active work of the Holy Spirit. And it was faith in the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the trouble is, is people will sit there and say, yeah, but Jesus wasn't alive back then. <laughs> That's a tough one, right? These are the same people who go to Hebrews and say that he's got to be doing all kinds of silly things today because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So that means he's got to be filling up gas tanks, you know, when you put water in it. you got to be doing other things. And somehow he just lengthens legs, which always amazes me, but he never does create a new limb, you know, where back in the day, I guess he used to do that. All right, enough of this. In Scripture, the first usage of the word covenant, and if you look at the first sheet here, where it says covenant, the first covenant mentioned is that of Noah. That's why we get the word Noahic covenant. Now, in the Noahic covenant, there are three listings in which people say that the covenant is given. If you turn to Genesis 6, verses 17, and we're going to be back in Genesis a lot right now. Genesis 6, 17, it says, Behold, I, even I, am going to bring the flood upon the waters, to, uh, upon the earth, to destroy all flesh which is, in which is the breath of life. From under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter, and you shall enter the ark. And it goes on a little bit from there. Now, what is stressed here is the breath of life. Very important statement. Where else have you heard that term, breath of life? Well, it's, yeah, in the very beginning. But it's very interesting that word ruach. In Hebrew, or pneuma, where we get pneumatics in Greek, right? Same word used all through Scripture. It means breath. It means spirit. Right? It's the same word. When it's given here, you can say the spirit of life and be accurate in your translation. It just doesn't fit the context well. Right? Because that gives it a little bit different nuance. But the whole idea of the breath of life, or the spirit of life, is the essence of life. God says it's going to destroy all creatures. Well, wait a minute. Don't fish breathe? Oh, come on. You notice how quiet it gets? I ask one question, it gets quiet. I just have to fish breathe, right? Of course they breathe, right? But what God is saying is, the flood was so severe in this and that, it would even kill the fish. The fish were going to die. Are you guys still discussing fish over there? 
Your hearing aid went dead? <laughs> you fish breathe. <laughs> the point is, the point is, is God was going to destroy all life. All life is gone. And it is the breath of life. The breath of life, it's interesting. When we're told that he created animals, he created animals, they were alive, they were done. The breath of life comes in, in what aspect? With what creature? Man. Man. Man is the focus, yes? Now, it says here, when you get to verse 18, he says, but I will establish my covenant with you. This is the first word, first usage of that uh, Hebrew word, beret, or berait, which we translate covenant. And it basically means, I'm going to make you a great deal. We're going to have some understanding, a good meeting between me and you over this. Because, you know, if, if you're if you're knowing, God's sitting there saying, look, I'm going to destroy everything there is, right? What do you sit there and say? Well, what are you doing for lunch on Thursday? <laughs> right? It ain't going to happen. I mean, you need some comfort, and God says, I'm going to promise you something. So that's why, in the notes, you'll notice that for Genesis 6, 17 to 22, I list it as a promise. Because promises of God, believe me, are the central theme of Scripture. But when He makes a covenant of something, He's giving it a special emphasis that needs to be made aware of. And then we'll look at that. So if you go to the next one that people will say is part of the covenant, Genesis 8, oh, a few extra dots there, 8, 20 to 22, it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered a burnt offering on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing. And it goes on, verse 22, While the earth remains, seed time harvest, cold heat, summer, winter, day, night, shall not cease. Now, this is a listing of what's going to come in the covenant. But it is not a covenant yet. It is still a promise. Yes? And there's a lot that we could focus on the fact that there were no seasons, chances are, before Noah, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of aspects we can get into on what the story is, but what we want to focus on is the covenant aspect. God has promised certain things, and it's not until we get to Genesis 9, 8-17, that we actually get the covenant itself. So let's look at that. Or I'm sorry, chapter 9, 8-17. Okay, then God spoke to Noah and to his sons. Now if you notice, as I read this, the word covenant is going to be used five times. When God repeats himself in something like that, he's trying to make a point, and let's find out what it is. Verse 9, Behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast of the earth with you, of all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth, I will establish my covenant with you. And all flesh shall never be again be cut off by the waters of the flood, neither shall there be 
a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and every living creature of all flesh. And never again shall the waters become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I, which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now, what's the covenant? You will not do a general flood to destroy all flesh on the earth again. He's done it once. Now, of the account, we know that when the springs of the earth opened and the waters that were above the earth came down, right, it was enough to flood the earth continuous until things drew back. Um, Again, there's a lot that we can explain in the fact that there was no direct sunlight, uh, no direct uh, UV rays on the earth, people lived longer, a lot of other things. Things like lizards and that, you know, beautiful things about reptiles is the bigger they are, the older they are, right? So if you get a thousand year old reptile, they get pretty big, you know? I love these people who sit to go, where did the dinosaurs come from? I said, kind of go, you know, give me a thousand year old crocodile and I can give you a dinosaur, right? There's no problem there. Okay, so with all that, with all that, we back up to the fact that in making this covenant, who insisted on making it? What did Noah think about it? Any idea? Rather passive? Yeah. <laughs> he was definitely rather passive, right? If he just went through everything Noah just went through, I think I'd be rather passive too, right? But what's interesting here is, and I, I guess I should use these notes. What I was trying to point out is, in the upper box that's surrounded by the gold bar, is that the gospel, I was curious, if I say that you're saved by faith through grace, or you're saved by grace, there you go. Yeah, however it goes. You can kind of flip those around, can't you? If you say that's true, then. My question is, how is the gospel preached? Yes? I love how people sit there and say, well, the gospel was different to different people at different times, right? Well, funny, when I get to the book of Revelation, I see this little angel running through the, through the heavens with this little book called the Eternal Gospel, right? I'm not debating whether it's just the four gospels and the Psalms, right? Well, I'm not debating whether it's just the book of Genesis. I'm not debating anything. There is a central theme to Scripture. There is continuity through this book, even though there is a break in continuity in other areas as to how God wants people to react. Because if you just come up with one set of rules, you'll get everybody trying to keep that set of rules, but still wanting to do what they, they want on their own. No change of heart. You want a key understanding to Scripture from God's point of view, 
He says from the very beginning, in all different ways, and I'm, I'm trying to highlight that a little bit as we go and make you think about it. From the very beginning, he wants to say, I will be your God and you will be my people. That is what he wants. But see, most people sit there and say, well, I want it for the eternal security or the fire insurance or however you want to put it, but I really want to go my way. And, and that's the story. Now, in redemption, in that gold box, the gospel preached prior to the fall. Was the gospel preached prior to the fall? See, everyone sits there and goes, well, Adam and Eve, they ran around. I mean, come on. Didn't even have to worry about clothes. Right? What a way to live. Well, how was it preached? I listed the fact that they had daily fellowship with God and they had access to the tree of life. Define for me what scripture, the entire revelation, tells me is the tree of life. What is the tree of life? Oh, come on, you've been going to church how many years? You can't tell me what the tree of life is? The cross? Is that what I heard? I hope. Jesus is the tree of life, yes. But his crucifixion happened at what point? In the time of man, we, we know the year, basically, or right around it. The scripture tells me he was crucified before the earth was ever formed. Why? Why did Adam and Eve not go and eat of the tree of life? It was not a beautiful thing to look upon. Who wants to look upon the cross? Yeah? So, with that, you have this daily walking in fellowship with God, and you have access to the tree of life. Don't tell me the gospel wasn't preached. Now, was the gospel preached after the fall? Interesting thing. Adam and Eve run around stark naked, yes? In a climate in which you didn't need clothes. Now, the only time they felt they needed clothes is when God was coming around, right? The rest of the time, they really didn't need clothes. But God wants to make a point to them and sits there and says, you know, it's good that you cover your shame. It really is. So what does he do? He takes an animal, one of those things that God and man named it together. And remember, men are all vegetarians at this point. And he kills the animal, and takes the skins and makes dress for Adam and Eve and hangs this dead skin on them to cover their, their, themselves. Did you think that they thought maybe that was the latest fashion? <laughs> Paul uses part of this analogy, I think, when he talks in his epistles about the old man in the flesh. Because the city of Tarsus had a unique way of dealing with murderers. If you were a murderer, oh, murderer, murderer. <laughs> not a murderer of crows, a murderer. In Tarsus, if you murdered somebody, right, they didn't necessarily just turn around and kill you, but what they did was they took the body of the person you killed and they took leather straps and they tied it foot to foot, leg to leg, hip to hip, chest to chest, arm to arm, face to face. You were strapped to the dead body. And it stayed there until you died. 
That is why when Paul says, slay the old man, right? Live in the power of the new man. What he's talking about is, cut that dead body off you. But picture this in Adam's day, when sin needed to be covered, there's no reason to kill an animal. And an animal is slain just so you can wear the skin. Are you telling me the gospel's not preached? Also, what do we know? We know from Genesis 3 that a redeemer is promised. One that will slay the head of the serpent. Yes? A promise that is key. That is so important, that promise. So, your ability to have faith in God and His plan is there. But again, just like Cain, why do I have to slay an animal? Why can't I just bring you the work of my hands? Why? Come on, guy, we're all vegetarians. Eat the corn, eat the corn, right? It's the blood. It's the blood. It's the blood. <clears throat> now, does God rejoice in this? I'm told here with, with Abraham during this, through, the, um, through this, that the aroma was sweet, right? Well, what do we know about the feast offerings later on, right, under Moses, right? It wasn't that you just burnt everything, it's that you roasted it and had a meal. That term berit in, in, in the Hebrew for covenant has the idea of a meeting, a meal, something in which we sit down. When you go through the Mosaic Law, God didn't have a bunch of fasts, He had a bunch of feasts. Come, eat, rejoice, have a good time. Life is to be savored and enjoyed, not put off. So this idea of roasting the meats was the idea that, hey, we're off the boat, give glory to God, yes. But that's where God instills in heaven, it's time to eat meat. You now live in a different world. You've got ultraviolet, you've got a lot of other things going on on you now. You better start eating meat, and he sets that up, all right? Now with that, though, I understand the Gospels preach, but in the blue box, I'm kind of stating what is. And what was at the time is prior to the covenant of Genesis. There's repeated terms, both blessing and name. When you read Genesis and it says God created this and it was good, the word good is blessed. And then when you read all who are blessed by God or blessed in the creation, or blessed, however, you find it's very important. The next major, well, not major, but repeated term is the term name. And our English Bible screws it up a lot because it'll use different terms for name. But remember at the very beginning, God and man named the animals. Well, what did that signify? To name something is to own it. To name something is to have authority over it. You know, we joke about pet names, oh, my little Gilly, right? my, my little sweetheart, right? Okay, I get away with that because I'm very possessive, I'm a very selfish person. So I make her mine, right? <laughs> I do! Why she puts up with it? Whole different story, she's Norwegian, she's <laughs> not as bad as the Finns, Jack. Not as bad as the Finns. Norwegian learned the sharpest. Let me tell you. But the whole 
idea of naming was the idea that you have authority over something. You have a responsibility over something. Well, what's interesting is between the blessings that go on, that God is saying, here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. And not just that, here's the authority you have. And be fruitful and multiply and, and, and these commands and that. What's interesting is when man starts stepping out on his own, that term for name is used as to seek your own. Man wants to make a name of himself. In fact, you, you find in that where it says that there were men of renown, right? Certain warriors over other men. Or men who wanted multiple wives to get a great name, right? And the point of this was they wanted their own name. And what you find in man is they want to define themselves separate from God. They want a name that is theirs, okay? Now, that's very important in the fact that God's blessing was continuous. He never stopped. Even though the curse was on the earth and it produced, you know, thorns and stuff like that, it still produced fruit. It still produced abundance. It still produced everything that was in the garden, except for what? <coughs> Tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because that was out and that was filled. That was God. Now, God sharing authority, man seeking his name. So here comes this covenant, this judgment. What does it achieve? With this giving of the covenant, and this is the first one, and a lot of people don't even really consider this a major covenant, because it doesn't deal with Israel direct. A lot of people, since it's their out, the covenants only deal with Israel. Well, I'm sorry, the word is used here first, it's defined here first. My first major question with this is, who did it apply to? I have listed here that under the focus it says Noah, but then it, it expands from that, doesn't it? His descendants, does it expand beyond that? Even the animals. So the focus is all the way onto all life. And the purpose of this covenant is for man to know that God will never again, as long as there is the seasons and the times moving. Now, understand in Hebrew, the term eternal covenant does not necessarily mean forever, ever, 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 right? It means for a long time or for a very set time or for a time in which things are clearly defined. And God does clearly define it. He says, as long as there are seasons, as long as there is day and night, as long as this creation exists, this covenant will hold. So God defines this. Now, in my mind, where I live, Fresh Prairie, just north of Portland, this and that, if my universe is gone and the sun is gone and the earth is gone and there's no seasons, I don't think I'm going to be here. <laughs> That's just an assumption in my mind. I don't want to be presumptuous, but I'm thinking as long as these things are here, I'll be here. So these things hold. Now, what were the conditions of the covenant? A covenant is an agreement between two normally in which there are certain conditions. This one doesn't have anything. He just says it won't do it. 
himself. God is all-powerful, and he has the ability to do anything he wants. Yes? He has no... I have no rights before him. I cannot stand before him and declare my rights and say, look, I'm a created being. I have my rights. Right? He could at any time just sit there and go, yeah, well, here's one. Right? You have the right to die. Right? The argument that you're all on God's side. Yes? Now, my mom used to really confuse me as a kid. Because every time I saw a rainbow, she'd say, sit there and tell me that that was God's sign to us that he wouldn't destroy the earth. Was she biblically accurate? What was wrong with what she said? Are you telling my mom was screwed up? She was a weird lady. What was it? I think that's what screwed her up. Let me tell you. No, it says he would flood the earth again, not just say he would destroy the earth. Well, he wouldn't destroy the earth. Yeah, that's true. But see, the interesting thing is, is the rainbow is not assigned to us. You ever think about that? It's assigned to God. It's assigned to God. Now hold it, hold it. This causes me huge theological problems. Does God really need regular reminding? <coughs> so why did he place it like that? The whole point of that kind of wording is to show that every condition of this covenant is on him. Every aspect. There is absolutely no binding of this covenant on the recipients at all. That is why, in one sense, it's very hard to call it a covenant. Because it's not bilateral. There's nothing on anybody. But the important thing to get out of this is the very first covenant God places on man is completely, completely, um, uh, has no, how do I want to put this? There is no regulation on man at all. None. And it's universal even to the animals. So when God wants to explain to you that He wants to make covenants, is He doing it simply to try and get more out of you? No. When He's going to set up covenants with you, it's always going to be for your better. He has you first and foremost in mind. And this first covenant is the most broad and universal. And it affects all men, all life. Now with that, How's the gospel different? The gold box at the bottom. There was a gospel preached by Noah. You realize Noah's called the preacher of the gospel? He was barking out the whole time he's building the boat. Any of you who knew uh, uh, Ulchie, what was his first name? No, not, not Dave Ulchie. Dave Ulchie still goes. He's Floyd. 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 If you ever knew Floyd Ulchie and you were working with him, he discussed Bible the whole time he's hammering building something, right? Mm -hmm. And I used to sit there, you just put the hammer down and let's talk about it. I can't hear you while you're banging away, right? Kind of thing. But I always pictured him as Noah, you know? Always talking while working, right? Well, beyond that, it says that the blessings of life, or that breath of life, and the land for man's sake, and the glorifying of God, 
by the honoring of man's life is God's image. Well, where do I get that? Now, wait a minute. See, I didn't, I didn't read that much farther down. When you go into more of the covenant, there are certain conditions that are laid on man. And with that, one of them is, before the flood, if a man killed another man, God dealt with him directly. Remember at Cain, how God dealt with him, you know, on his own in that? Extended extreme grace, even in that, right? But now, after this, what you have is the sons of Noah breaking in, developing the nations, which we'll see how that goes, right? And with this came additional responsibility. Since man is into taking life, which he is, right? And that's repeatedly shown. It is now up to man to take the authority that up until this point was only God's. Which was to govern man by taking his life. And here God institutes capital punishment. Because if you take a man's life, by man's hand you shall die. That's exactly what God tells Noah to do. Now see, a lot of people run around and say, well, that's murder, that's killing. And God says, yes, it should never happen. And it should never happen because each one of you is unique before me and created in my image. And no man deserves that. But if a man does this and disregards me so seriously, by your hand you should take it. Well, again, who am I to be God? You are God's person. Someone needs to represent God down here. Now how flippantly should you take that responsibility? Some people think if you go to Texas, if Texas don't matter, I'll kill anybody, right? <laughs> you go to Texas, they'll put anybody to death. No. Ones who think like that are not the ones who are doing it for the right reason. Yes. Far from it. I think I think having to weigh it out means something more. I love the fact that you got an idiot who blows away a bunch of people, right? Going out to see Batman. What a wonderful thing, right? Everybody's trying to figure out why. Evil is evil, folks. I love it when things are clearly political, they ignore it. And then when something is just clearly evil, they sit there and either try to make it political or try to make it psychological and this and that. I mean, they have tried so hard to find everything. And the guy turns out, seems like he was a nice guy, a good student, a sharp dude. There's no reason, right? Anybody who is that evil is evil. Alright? And I don't care what laws you pass, they ain't going to happen. And to disregard the plan of God is ridiculous. Okay, another one I want to throw in there. The Gospel preached by Job. Remember, Job's book is as old as the Genesis account, chances are if not older. And was the gospel preached in Job? Oh, I could preach you resurrection out of Job. I could teach you all kinds of things out of Job, yes? Who was that young man, Elihu? Elihu, Elihu. I always sounded like a uh, Dr. Seuss name, you know? But uh, a wonderful thing. So, at the end of this, my question is this. What would have been the proper response of worship? 
you with Noah's crew. You got off the boat. You folks just, you know, had you, whatever this and that. You're forming a nation. What was it God was requiring you? Multiply, replenish the earth. Good finish, man. He comes That's up with right. that right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. That's one thing you're supposed to do. We've seen already that the establishment of proper sacrifice and feasting in honoring to the Lord, and now in making that a set pattern in eating meat, it was, in my mind, one thing that you were to do as you ate. You didn't take a meal for granted without thinking about the fact that you had to take a life. See, we have that argument today, oh, should I kill them? I can eat, you know, I can eat things like chickens because they're not cute, right? Or do the Kurt Cobain thing, right? Fish right, isn't meat, right? But I can't eat a bunny. They're cute, right? Oh man, rabbit liver, some of the best hot day you've ever had. But see, I surgically removed the liver in a while. So the, the thing of it is, is it is not good to have to take a life. But you know what? It's proper. And it's not just proper, it should remind us that there's a day coming in which we won't have to live like that. Yeah? When you go into the kingdom, remember all the animals are playing? Right? Lion is laying down with lambs. Lions and lambs lay down today, don't they? I love this one. This is old and new thing. He points out the fact that they definitely lie down together. The difference is, is the lamb is inside the lion. Right? <laughs> Both of them quite a piece. So you can't walk through and talk about what a proper response is and what a, um, uh, a proper focus of what it takes to be redeemed but then a proper way, and then how you handle things. How do you treat fellow human beings? That would be a major part of your worship. I mean, the biggest weasel you know in school or at work, that jerk, right? You walk home, you go, even that guy is created in the image of God. And not just that, even that guy has a chance of redemption, yes? yes. Who are you to write anybody? Anybody. So see, it changes your out the way you perform. Now, was it conditional or unconditional? We already pointed out the fact that it was it depends. See, that question always cracks me up. Is a covenant conditional or unconditional? Well, on God's part, it's completely conditional. Right? Because all the conditions are on him. On us. Any conditions from the Noah Covenant? Nope. Come out of the womb, take a deep breath, boom, you're under it, right? That's it. Okay, great. Page two. <laughs> the Adamic Covenant. This is the biggie, folks. How you define the Adamic Covenant? Adamic, not Abrahamic. <laughs> You in that list? <laughs> the Abrahamic covenant, the biggie, the biggie. Now, we're going to move fast because I want to lay a couple of bombs on you so when we pick it up next week, hopefully you'll have some intelligent words and you don't sit out there with your mouth and hold it like they are. <laughs> I was talking to you, brother. I was talking to you. So, 
Now, top blue box, how things are. Genesis 1 to 11, uh, 11 26. It anticipates the promises and the covenant with Abraham. And then what's interesting is the rest of the book simply brings to light everything about the Abrahamic covenant. Because you'll notice it's passed on in this and that. So everything is focused in the book of Genesis around this. Now, it first starts off with Genesis 12, 1 to 3. In Genesis 1 to 3, you have God sitting there saying, Abram, leave, boom, right? And I love this. Did God tell him to leave the land, the herb, the Chaldees? Is that what made him leave? Well, it's funny, it does say that, but uh, remember, it was Abraham's dad who took him out of the land of the Chaldees, and it was Terah who really wanted to go to Canaan. So Abraham was already kind of on his way, it's just that dad couldn't get past Aaron, I don't know why, but he just kind of hung out there. Then dad dies, and Abraham's sitting there, kind of going, well, what the heck, you know? And God says, no, 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 come on out. Well, if you go through the accounts from Noah to Abram, we have ten generations here in which all the nations are formed. Before this, man was not formed into nations. Man was not uh, organized in such a way. But sure enough, God gives him authority of capital punishment. And what's the number one thing about capital punishment? Whoever's in charge is going to set the rules, and they're going to set their boundaries as to their people, and... Um, where they can control And then after battle, because God says, you know, these guys are getting too, too wily. And see, understand this, God makes it very clear that under one language, man would be too smart, and there'd be just about nothing he can't do. We're getting very close to being under one language again. And believe me, these people who sit there and say, don't worry, man will never be able to create life. Oh, yes, he will. Wait, wait till the chance comes that God, not God, that man offers you for health insurance that pill. That pill or that shot that you could take. And if you take that, you'll never die. You'll never get ill. I don't know where those people come from, but they're there at the end. When God is bringing judgment, and it says that these people are, are calling for mountains to fall on them because they can't die. We've got a whole world of people who just panic over everything. If I don't have health insurance, oh my gosh, right? Let me let you in on a whole story. You are all going to die. <laughs> and death is not fun. And I love the Christians who age... Well, I'll take our ball. I, mean, I can talk about it. Well, he's a weasel in a lot of other ways, but I wasn't going to talk about I was going to talk about the fact that when I look at a man who ages gracefully and looks so forward to being back with his family, I want to be as strong as that kind of a man. I've seen that in Clarence Warren. I've seen that in many others. I want to be able to say, this generation takes preach the gospel. I'm out of here. Not that I'm going to check out, but when the Lord tells me it's time to go home, I'm not hanging on. Now, am I going to be scared? I'm sure I will be. And I pray there's those of you around me to encourage me not to be. But the key is to not try and hang on to that which I can't. Hang on to that which is eternal. 
Yes? Now, back to our study. If you go to Genesis 12 and that, the promises are all laid out. But what I want to lay on you before we go is the fact that in both Genesis 15 and 17, and if you're going to come back next week, I expect you to at least, if you don't have this thing, copy it from somebody. Because I want you to read these scriptures. Because really, there's a, a real problem between Genesis 15 and Gen Genesis 17. Both those two use the term covenant. I don't want to read these together. Turn to Genesis 15. Now again, I'm not focusing on everything with, with Abraham. Quite often when you read a, uh, chapter 15, people read it in a chronological order. They read 1 to 5, then they read that key verse, He believed in the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And then they pick up, it's a second story. They know nothing of Hebrew parallelism. Verses 1 to 5 is the story told, and 7 to 21 is the same story told in greater detail. Verse 6 is a narrative put in by the person who wrote the book. Abraham didn't sit there and say, okay, we just went through this. I believe you. I'm not righteous. Hey, cool. And then go on with something else. No, no. And that's most often how this is taught. Now, with this, let's read. Verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham and Abraham, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you, and reward, your reward shall be very great. Now, read verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldees, to give you this land and to possess it. That is telling you the same account, but giving you two different focuses. Then go to verse 2, actually 2 and 3. Abram, he now questions God. He says, oh Lord, what will you give me since I'm childless? Right? Now, that's a huge funny thing. You know what Abram means. It means exalted father. Can you imagine me giving the name exalted father, which can also mean father of many, right? Every time you run into a caravan, someone walks up and says, Who are you? You say, I'm Abram. Oh, father of many. How many kids you got? <laughs> you think that's funny. Before Isaac is born, right? The Lord does what? Changes his name to Abraham, which means a father of a multitude. Can you imagine meeting the same guy you met 10 years earlier, who you introduced yourself to as Abram, and he says, How many kids you got? No, none. And he comes back, and his name is now Abraham, father of a multitude. He says, whoa, well, how many kids you got now? None. <laughs> and the Lord doesn't have a sense of humor? <laughs> okay, but going on. Abram says, look, you've given me nothing. And the Lord says in verse 4, this man will not be your heir, but one who comes from your own body. So the promise of the seed. Well, that's found in verse 8. He says, oh Lord, how may I know that I will possess it? Now see, the point being okay. is, these stories are common. Yeah, she's bold. I'm out of here. Even my own wife can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm supposed to be a greeter. So, consider <clears throat> yourself all greeted in church. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> Am I running late? <laughs> no, no, no. No, but see, I, I, I don't want to walk through it all now. I want to uh, jump on this next week as well.
questions are, but see, the issues we have here is the fact that it is given to us that it is given as the promise and it's given as the covenant, because especially as we go through 7 to 21, we have to deal with the cultural aspect of Abraham and what he was doing with those animals and what was going on and how significant this covenant is. But understand this, in verse 6, when it says, he believed in the Lord and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, the verb used there in the Hebrew has the idea that all that Abram did is where he showed his faith. These people who sit there say, see, all you got to do is believe in that, that simple thing that, that God says, you know, just do this. I believe. What proves you is how you walk. It is easy to say something. And when somebody says one thing and acts another way, which is the real person? Word, the actions, exactly. Words are cheap. You get to the New Testament, Peter, Peter says, you know, look, keep your mouth shut, show them the gospel. Try that, it's really hard. Especially for me, keep my mouth shut. <laughs> now, with that, when you read Genesis 15, tell me what's conditional and tell me what's unconditional on each person's side. Now, turn to Genesis 17 real quick. Some people say this is the death of covenant. In 17, starting in verse 3 to 14, it says, Abram fell on his face. God talked to them, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. You will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer will your name be Abram, it will be Abraham. You will be yeah, multitude of nations. It goes on. And it talks on and on. Now, God says that as you go through this in, in verse 9, it says, God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant and your descendants after you through their generations. This is the covenant which you shall keep. Now everything before this, God says what he's going to do. But he's saying, you're going to keep this, right? What's he got to do? He says, between me and you and your, your descendants after you, every male among you shall be circumcised. Oi. You want to know where that Hebrew word oi came from? Right here, oi. You want to get my attention, Lord, let's just leave certain things alone, yes? And you women, you got out of this. That's ridiculous. You talk about sexism. Yeah. That's not ridiculous. You guys got out of something else. Every time I saw my wife gave birth, I said this. <laughs> the breastfeeding I was always jealous of. I'm so smoking. They look good, right? Why can't I have a bonding thing like that? And then I started getting up and that and went, thank you again. Why is it me? Why is it me? But every meal, uh, verse 11, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh and be foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout the generations. A servant who is born in your house, uh, bought with money, foreigner, all these people, right? Now, when you get to verse 14, it says, But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken the covenant. It definitely sounds a little bit conditional to me. And when it comes to people who want to claim the covenant, 
I'm thinking maybe we better go and, uh, you know, have a little uh, knife sharpening, huh? <laughs> Funny how that What I want you to do is this. We didn't get as far as I wanted. We moved close. The first covenant was very universal. This one is the first covenant that is defining Israel. And what you'll notice is as we go down the covenants, God has a narrowing of those who are His. This defining of the narrow way. And this is very significant. But also, if you notice, it is including any foreigner who wants to be there. Any servant wants to be there. Yeah. It is all exclusive. It's not eliminating, but it is defining. Now, if chapter 15 is unconditional, which you might find it is on man, and chapter 17 has conditions, what are the length of those conditions? What's the purpose of those conditions? Again, it's not defining salvation. It's defining worship. Yes? And I'll let you in a little secret as you go through these things. If you look on the third sheet, on the third sheet, Exodus 1 1, all the way to Deuteronomy 34 12, works out the substance of the Abrahamic covenant. You'll find that law does not violate grace, it defines it. And what you find is God's progressive order is that your knowledge of Him. His holiness and what sin truly is be more and more defined. <clears throat> so with that, bring your questions. Look this stuff over. You've kind of seen how I define the gold boxes. You kind of see how I define the blue boxes. And then you kind of see in that where I want to study scripturally. So go through the Abrahamic Covenant and we'll pick it up next week. And uh, we only have next week to try and define things. So we'll see how it goes. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the time in which uh, you give us just to uh, meet together, ponder your word, consider your ways, and help us to strengthen each other as we struggle, Father, to truly give you the worship you deserve, not just be culturally based, and yet, Father, help us not to ignore the culture we're in. We ask this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.